Hi, I'm George Boldarki, and this is Cityscape. 2020 has been anything but an easy year. You know, with a pandemic and all. But a little humor can go a long way. Enter award-winning writer, illustrator, and cartoonist Bob Eckstein. Bob has had his cartoons published in the New York Times, Mad Magazine, and The New Yorker. He's a regular guest on Cityscape and joins us now to talk about what he's been up to during the pandemic, including putting out a new book with famed New Yorker cartoonist Michael Shaw. It's called The Elements of Stress. Bob, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Hi, George. How you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. It's so good to have you on the show again. So what have you been up to during the pandemic? It's it's amazing, but I do want to say you promised we'd do this in studio and that the pandemic was going to be over. I know, I know. I did not live up to that promise. Can you take a rain check on that? I was looking forward to a big hug. And also, the yeah. the last time I was there, I don't know if you remember, so I left this really nice mug in your studio. It, it was steam milk, you so you may there. want to check. Yeah. It's steam milk, so you might want yeah, to check might be on a little that. Curdled. Yeah, I'll have to check in with our engineering staff because I'm still working from the bedroom, and I'll have to send my engineering staff to check in on that mug. But you're gonna to have to settle for a virtual hug, Bob. Here's a big virtual hug. <laughs> I feel it. Uh, now you and me both have been All teaching right, this year, and that, that's one of the things I did. I did a lot of remote teaching, now, a lot of speaking all around the world. Like I spoke at some museums, like the Norman Rockwell Museum. And I spoke at a university in South Korea and all these things that normally would probably be logistically impossible to do. So that's one tiny little silver lining to the whole thing. Had you taught online prior to the pandemic or has that been a new experience for you? Well, that was new. I mean, I, I didn't need to before. And this is a way to um, do the NYU classes and then on the side doing some other things as well that you know, to fill in the gaps and to try to reach out to people because a lot of people wanted me to do events. And now we had, you know, try to turn it around and say that anybody could join a book event now. You can do it from anywhere. So so what are you teaching at NYU? What's the class or what are the classes? How many? I'm teaching writing and drawing. And that has come to an end for the time being. Um, I'm actually doing a fun project with NYU at the moment. They've asked me to redesign their logo for the School of Journalism, which is very flattering and, you know, sort of an honor. And um, it'll be on T-shirts and mugs and things like that. But uh, doing logos is something I really enjoy doing. And I've done that actually from the beginning of going back decades. I used to do logos for different corporations and stuff. And uh, we've come full circle. Are there logos out there that we would know? Are there logos out there that we would know that you have created? You know, um, I did the, the logo for True Value with the guys with the wrench, but I don't know if a lot of your audience would know the True Value guy, but that's one. And I did some redesigns for like um, Pepsi, so some big companies, and I worked for all these, co um, these companies and magazines that are no longer with us. I had done the redesign for Working, let me see, Working Woman Magazine, Mamuselle, um, Sky Magazine, which is an in-flight magazine that you see on Delta. Um, and I did a lot of logos for the Boston Globe newspaper. So if you open up the Boston Globe newspaper, a lot of the logos that might still be around were designed by me years ago. 
Very cool. So what are your ideas for a journalism logo for NYU? Anything floating around at this moment? Have you dived into what that looks like? Yeah, they had, they had a good idea before that needs to be kind of revamped. And they had a guy playing the typewriter like he's a piano player. I mean, that's not the correct word, piano player. He's a penis. And he's, um, he's kind of doing it on the keyboard of a, of a typewriter. So it's kind of a jazzy feel and stuff like that. But I've got to update it so it doesn't look too cheesy. That's my job. It's up to me to make things less cheesy. And you're also working to make things less stressful, right? We're trying to help us be a little less stressed. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's been pivoting. You know, we're all pivoting doing stuff. And so the beginning of this year, what I did was uh, I took on two new books that are out now. They just came out. And one was a cartoon book that's funny. It's about marriage and about love and about divorce. And there's a second book called The Elements of Stress. And both of these came out of that feeling of like, Things could not get any worse, but they can get funnier. So I kind of try to do that and try to make light of the situation without making light of the situation. So so how do you approach humor during these very challenging times right now? You know, it's an interesting question because um, I'm going to take it seriously because I teach this in my, in my classes of how to handle the anxiety. Because a lot of people are saying um, in the arts, that they can't write and they can't do drawing and stuff like that in these times because they're so anxious and it's just you know, whatever. You know, it's the feeling we all have experienced. And so I've been trying to teach people to find a place, uh, physically a place that they can feel comfortable or a place in their head, place uh, somewhere um, internally in which they're comfortable and they can get back to a location that's a playful place and eliminate a lot of that anxiety because I tried to explain that anxiety is the enemy to being creative. You just simply can't be creative and funny if you're constant, constantly nervous and anxious and are not allowing yourself to be playful and make mistakes. Making mistakes is actually part of the creative process because when you do that, you're exploring different options to being funny or maybe a solution to a, a writing problem that you might not gonna have if you're afraid to uh, make that mistake and you're worried about deadline or you're worried about all the other problems that we've all been bombarded with this whole year. How have you been addressing the coronavirus pandemic in your cartoons? You know, it's something that I, I kind of feel like it's my job. Like it versus the immediate family, which I want to cheer up. Like when I get together with them and stuff, I feel like it's my job to kind of lighten the mood. And then it extends publicly in small ways like Facebook and online, and then to a greater extent to all the different magazines and stuff that I've been working with. I, I've done a lot of cartoons this year. I've done about over 50 cartoons about the virus, and they've appeared in magazines and on the covers of magazines too. And so I do feel like I'm doing a little bit of my part morale-wise to lighten the mood. And what are some of the examples would be um, like making jokes about toilet paper in the beginning of the year when everyone was fighting over toilet paper. I would do something like that. And you know, the guy who's pushing the rock up the, up the hill. I had changed that to yeah. a Walmart clerk pushing up a roll of toilet paper. So, you know, just different juxtapositions that are kind of funny and stuff and like, some of the pieces are more serious. Some of them are exactly what you imagine, silly. Did you stock up on toilet paper yourself, Bob? Oh, no, please. 
please. No, George, <laughs> I was doing my part. <laughs> what we did was we, we improvised and I'm living in the woods of rural Pennsylvania now. And we did learn that old corn cobs was used as toilet paper back in the day. Or, or the garden hose could be used. I mean, uh, it's getting a little colder okay. out now. And that's becoming a very um, eye-opening experience. But that's a way of cutting back on paper usage. All right. There's one way. I have a garden hose on my balcony, but I don't think my neighbors would appreciate seeing that. But, you know, if it comes down to it. You don't know unless you try. You know, I'm just saying you're making assumptions. That's all. <laughs> so let's get back to talking about stress for a moment. And you talk about this in the book. What's the difference between running from stress and handling stress? <laughs> that's right. Sometimes you want to go right at it and monetize it. Find a way to work with stress because we all have stress in our lives. And um, one, of the, one of the things I said in the book, which it was kind of meant as a joke, but it's really true, is that uh, most stress is in the home. You know, it's right there in front of you. And we've all been tested. You know, it's really interesting. And this is where my two books kind of overlap, is that all our relationships have been tested. And we've all kind of reassessed where we stand with things. And we've all got to deal with, you know, how we're going to handle our partner in uh, these very um, times, these, these tough times. And you're fighting over everything. You're fighting over the garden hose to, you know, what are we going to do for dinner tonight and stuff? So ha have you been losing weight or gaining weight? I've been staying pretty consistent, believe it or not. You know, there's a pandemic, George, right? <laughs> I know. But for me, routine has been so important, Bob, routine. So I'm trying to stick to routine. But I know that you have something to say about this because a lot of people are eating more and they're gaining weight because they're stressed out. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, diet definitely plays a big role in this whole um, stress management that we're in. Uh, rolls specifically, potato rolls, can be a great stress relief if you uh, – eat a burger and that's a, it's a comfort food. Or if you say to yourself, you know what? I am not going to let the pandemic put those 19 pounds on me. And you use the potato roll as a stress ball. Uh, the stress ball can be very helpful. I mean, there's all different ways to, to use your noggin and, and be resourceful. You say that this book is not a diet book though. I am not a doctor, but I am an expert at stress. <laughs> and I will say that I think we've all become experts at stress. But my book will give you real, actual, helpful suggestions of how to pivot and turn this around to your favor and, and take the different situations. And like, for instance, we've all been stressed in the past with weddings and baby showers and things that we might not necessarily want to go to. And this is one tiny, tiny, you know, good point about the pandemic is that it's much easier to say no to things. How, Bob, can we tell if we're stressing other people out because we ourselves are stressed? Okay, I'm going to tell you something, George. You are stressing people out. We all are. We're definitely <laughs> stressing people out. That's a given. Now, now the question is, yeah. how can we eliminate some of that stress? How can we lower it? Because we're all a pain in the ass to everyone. I mean, everyone, I mean, really, that's the whole point about the relationships too, going back. We, we, we all, you know, we're annoying our partner and stuff. And uh, we all think of ourselves, you know, should we trade up or something or, or can we, you know, whatever. But we all have to learn, this is it. This is as good as it gets, get over it. You're doing fine, get over it, embrace it. 
You have come up with some flavors of ice cream, antidepressant ice cream, you call it. Talk to us about those flavors. I picked actually the five flavors that I thought people would like the most. Not the funniest ones, but the ones I thought people would embrace. But, in, but I do list the ones that are, these are prescription antidepressant ice cream. So if Ben or Jerry is listening to this out there, you know how to contact me. Let's talk. But anyway, the flavors I came up with, Double Divorce, Vincent Van Cookie Dough, Chunky Melancholy Monkey. And that packaging is quite nice. It's a monkey on a shrink's couch. Really Rocky Road. And Screwed Up My Childhood Mocha Swirl. So, so there's some. I mean, everyone could have their own. You know, we could come up with more flavors all afternoon, I'm sure. But these can be made at the home, too. I just want to say, you do not have to go to the store to look for these. Make them at home and stuff. This is all part of the, the process of getting rid of their, all your stress. Have you been spending a lot more time in the kitchen? I spent so much time just baking. I mean, I, I felt the pressure to make uh, sourdough bread because I didn't want to feel left behind. And we have a ton of that left over. <laughs> a lot of it we froze. So baking, a great stress-relieving activity, right? Uh, no, it, it actually added stress. I, I've no. been doing a lot of things. Did it? A lot of stress. I tell you, this happened more than once where I felt proud of myself. I put the pan in the oven. I turned back, and then I see I did not add the milk or the eggs. I'm, I'm not making this up. There were recipes I was following that I actually – I missed the basic agrees. So this is what I did. More than twice, I did this with a lemon cake. I found this out like 20 minutes into baking it. I pulled the cake, and then I tried to add the eggs and the milk halfway through the baking process and swirled it in. And I know the cooks out there are going to say, well, that's not going to work. And they would be right. Lesson learned. (laughs) What then, in your opinion, Bob, are the most stress-relieving activities you would suggest if baking is not one of them? I think reaching out to people is really something I've been trying to get everyone to do. I really try to say, call everyone. You, you don't realize how many people out there really would just love a phone call or a Zoom and stuff. And I've been making that my mission. I've been really reaching out to a lot of people and I would say I spent more time talking to my family now than I have any other year. I think that it's, um, it's over. It is really very sad. It has been really tough. And I feel like I hope people are exploring other sides of themselves that have been neglected because of lack of time or because they didn't have a chance to really look into themselves. But I always get excited when I hear people say they're getting into the arts and they're, maybe they're trying writing or they're trying drawing and stuff. Or, or any type of art. And I've had students like that who came to my class, not really uh, familiar with different things, but they were trying for the first time. And they, it opened up a whole world. It, it's just now they're seeing the thing that, you know, that they weren't aware of before. And again, I'm, listen, I'm putting a spin on it that's nice. And I realize how tragic everything is, but this is one thing if we could try to make the best of it. What about laughter? Yes or no? Is laughter the best medicine? You know, that's a great saying, but now it's more like Xanax is the best medicine, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and, and laughter is the second place that's, you know, doesn't do it justice because it's 
such unique circumstances. And um, well, I think that it is important to laugh though. And I think again, it's up to us to kind of reach out to your mom or someone in your family that you can reach out to and make them laugh. I, I just did this with relatives yesterday where we did a Zoom and it was, you know, everyone's not doing that great. And I felt like in that circumstance, it was up to me to kind of try to make everyone smile a little bit. Your book includes the top 33 cliche ways to being stressed in descending order. What are among the cliches, the cliche ways on that list? Let's see. We have a lot of good ones here, but I am only going to go to, I'm going to go to some of my favorite. Uh, now these are ways of being stressed. So this is, this is the opposite of my premise of the book, but this is to raise awareness so you don't fall into these pitfalls. Because a lot of people are doing these things and they don't realize that this is what's making their life a pain in the ass. Uh, I suggested people to stop binge watching Meet the Press. You know, I mm -hmm. only watch now, and this is true, I only watch now 14 hours of CNN a day. I've cut back. Just 14 hours a day, huh? <laughs> I've cut back. I mean, can, really, don't we all feel at this point we are living in the situation room? You recently penned a letter to Hasbro with an idea for a new board game. Okay, now this is another brilliant idea I had over the summer. Thank you for bringing this up. I didn't even think of this. I came up with Pandemic Monopoly. Pandemic Monopoly, <laughs> it's called Monotony. And the spaces on the board, instead of being like these luxury hotels, are actually things like your living room, your kitchen, and all the other places we're stuck. And like the worst places, like where it would be like, you know, Baltic is like the worst property to get. That's like your basement. And then for instead of like, um, instead of waterworks, we have wash your hands. And go directly to jail is Dr. Fauci saying, go directly to the hospital. Have you heard from Hasbro? Um... Well, I heard from the lawyer. Um, I think a survey is a cease and desist letter uh, is right now where we stand in our relationship. So I'm not sure really if this is a green light, but I'm very optimistic. All right. Well, before we move on, let me get one more cliche way of being stressed from you, Bob. Okay. Being born in a Waffle House. That's, a, that's something that people should avoid if they... Uh, and being left in a, wife, a Waffle House in lieu of a tip. You know what? I am not going to end on that. We are not going to, I'm sorry. We're not going to end on that sour note. We're going to pick up something better. Um, here is another okay. way that causes stress, which we ask you not to, um, is alien abduction. We find that that's a stressful thing. Only worse is alien seduction. We, yes. this is, <laughs> I'm painting a bad picture here that this book is silly. This is not, there's actually a lot of wisdom in this book. And there's a lot of helpful tips. I just, for the sake of, sake of entertainment and sake of the podcast, I picked that one, some of the more um, sort of slapstick entries. But some of the entries are more serious and definitely will help the uh, average person. Let's talk more about All's Fair in Love and War because you can talk from personal experience, right, Bob? Yeah, this is something that uh, is close to my heart, pun intended. It actually started off with a collection of cartoons that the publisher wanted me to do on divorce. The publisher said he had friends who got a divorce and would love to cheer them up. I mean, not even thinking about the logistics of money and stuff. He just said it would be nice to have a book 
that he can give to people who are going through these times. What happened was, though, is we spoke with the editors and the people who I would be working with, and we all agreed that it would be uh, too much just to make it about divorce, that we should also add marriage and love, and then really make it depressing. <laughs> um, no, I'm, I'm joking. Uh, but to have it for all sorts of people at different stages of where they stand in their relationships. And in, in my case, um, I had married someone who I knew from college, who was my enemy. And 12 years later, I ran into them again at a funeral and we wound up eloping. And what's interesting about our relationship is that it, it just goes to show, I've, I've been sleeping with the enemy for 20 years. And I think that right now our country, as a metaphor, it's really interesting. We're at stakes with each other. You know, red and blue states are fighting. But my wife and I, we're still married and we're enemies. And maybe there's, a, there's something to, to be learned from there. Or maybe not. <laughs> so All's Fair in Love and War is a book for people, whether they are going on a first date or want to laugh about that first date or whether they're going through their third divorce, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's the sort of thing where it's great to see you can make fun of that too, because it is a very stressful thing, the, the love of our life and the, the things that we've lost and stuff. And I think this book actually has some healing power for a lot of people too. I had given it to a couple of people who did get a recent divorce. And uh, the one person thanked me and said they really needed that. They said, actually, this book was very funny. And I got to tell you, I think it's like the funniest book of 2020. But they said also, it was good to see it and just kind of lay it out. It kind of gave a little bit of closure. What's an example of one of those cartoons in which you can laugh about divorce? Oh, uh, let's see. Well, I have in, I love the book in front of me, but I'm thinking of the last cartoon that I have in the book is a tombstone that says um, one wedding four divorces and a funeral, which is sort of a play on the movie. So, um, yeah. and that's an example of, uh, yeah, there was, there's a, there's a whole mix in there. There's also, um, there's a beautiful drawing by an old timer cartoonist, uh, Warren Miller, who used to have work in the 1950s, which is now 70 years ago. And he had this um, cartoon of the man, again, another guy pushing something up the hill, that famous trope of the man pushing the rock up the hill. But he's pushing up a smarty Valentine candy. Yeah. And that, you know what that reminds me, that made me think of one of my more well-known cartoons I did over the summer, which is a guy in an asbestos suit pushing up that big, ugly virus up the hill, too. Yeah. yeah. I think the book, though, is basically a distraction just to get away from everything else, you know. I want to talk about another book that you have out there, and that is Footnotes from the World's Greatest Bookstores, because no doubt bookstores right now are hurting pretty badly. They were hurting before COVID-19, but now, you know, small businesses, mom and, mom and pop shops are really struggling. What are your thoughts about that? Because I know that the independent bookstore is something that is near and dear to your heart. Boy, you, yeah, this is another heavy subject. I know people might not uh, realize it because they take it for granted. 
about that aspect of the damage being done by this pandemic. But I hear it all the time from bookstores about their struggles. And I've been trying to do my best to accommodate and find out creative ways to to generate traffic back in the stores and also just simply remind people that those stores are hurting. And if you can, and if you want to buy puzzles, or if you want to buy books, you want to buy anything that your local bookstore has it or can order it for you, and you'd be helping a local neighbor of yours stay afloat. And uh, you could just help a, a person who's actually supporting the system, the infrastructure of your town, because this, all these bookstores pay taxes. They're helping the, the police, the, the schools, and they're also were a physical location for a lot of like-minded people to meet and to, uh, well, it's, it's everything. It's, bookstores have changed people's lives, but when people order online, there's a lot missing there. I mean, for a lot of people, when going to bookstores and stuff, that, that opened a whole world for them. So, so I'm a big advocate of bookstores and I try to encourage people to go there. And, and some people have seen, there have been articles showing up about independent bookstores struggling. Like this morning, there was one, the Strand, the Strand Bookstore in New York City was explaining that mm-hmm. they themselves are, are struggling. Yeah, the Strand is one of the bookstores featured, right? In footnotes from the world's greatest bookstores? They are. That was a that was a store that I went to as a kid and has, I have fond memories of, of that store and so many others too. I mean, I actually did 150 stores and there's only 75 in the book. If, uh, if books were selling better and bookstores were doing better, I probably would do a sequel to my book and, uh, and include these other yeah. 75 bookstores I wanted to give love to. Um, and a lot of the bookstores that are in the original book, some of them have since closed up. Well, let's talk about something that makes a lot of people happy, and that's a snowman. You are a snowman expert. You've even penned a book about the snowman, the illustrated history of the snowman. Entertain us with some fun facts about the snowman as we creep our way into winter. The snowman is our selfie. It really is uh, going back... That's like the that's something I kind of came up with recently when I thought about really what does my book prove? Like what was the takeaway of all the history of the snowman? And that is all this time we've all think about ourselves. It's always about us. And the snowman was just an extension to, to do a picture of ourselves from either cave drawings or to make a snowman. And um, I do in my book explain how snowman making was an early form of political commentary and it was an early form of pornography even in the Middle Ages. And so it has a rich history and stuff. And I, I, it's on my mind a lot because like, for instance, when we finish taping, my next project is, uh, well, I have a cover to do for Publishers Weekly, which I'm very excited about. But I'm also going to be working on a script for the movie, The History of the Snowman. So, um, and then this is sort of an end game I had, which is I would love for people to be aware of the importance of the snowman as an early form of art, an early form of folk art, and possibly or very likely one of the few activities we do share with our prehistoric ancestors. 
And there's not many of those activities we could list, but this, I believe, is one of them. And I, I'm basing this on the, uh, the testimony of experts and stuff. So when making a movie, I feel like that is the next step, is to create another holiday special, because it has been so long since we've had a great holiday special. I mean, there's been holiday movies, but what's a, what about a holiday classic, like the Charlie Brown and the Grinch and, the, and Magoo? I'm not going to you know, leave him out. Yeah. But really... It's due. We're, we're due for another special. Do you still make snowmen when we get snow? Are you out there with a pipe and a carrot? Uh, George, I, I've reached a level now that I'm more of a judge. I kind of go around and, <laughs> and I'll make comments and commentary on the neighborhood snowmen. I feel like it's a little beneath me to make the snowmen. But it, see, I, where I see it is this. It's one of the few times that we ever make art that public. I mean, if you think about it, how often do you make a piece of artwork that everyone sees and you can be judged? And, and another thing is it's free art supplies drop from the sky. So I feel like with this freedom of people to feel like they can make a piece of artwork, a lifelike tall sculpture of themselves without being judged, it's my place to judge them and take that <laughs> away from them. Bob, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Oh, thanks so much, George. Big thanks to award-winning writer, illustrator, and cartoonist Bob Eckstein. You can check him out online at bobeckstein.com. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. Our music is courtesy of bensound.com. Our producer is Matty Bristow. I'm George Boldarki. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>